In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. This is an exciting day. We are finally taking something that has been stuck in your head for the last six months, the last 16 years of clinical practice, something that you've taught to people who have come through pelvic sanity, but we're finally getting that out, releasing it to the world, your essential pelvic strengthening colon, not your mama's Kegels course, is now out, if you guys are listening to this. Yes. It is out. It is nerve-wracking. I did a story series the other day about how it really is nerve-wracking. I kind of feel like I feel, you know, when I was roughing basketball, right but when I was throwing up the ball in the center circle, like right at that point, I had like the most anxiousness, the most anxiety with like, how is this going to go? And as soon as you tip the ball up, boom, I'm fine. That is what I feel like now. It's like finally released. I finally feel like, okay, cool. Like what's going to happen is going gonna, is gonna to happen. But one of the things that I was talking about on Instagram the other day was that I do take this shit super seriously. I feel like as a course creator, there's a huge responsibility when we are putting stuff out there, especially when there is a price tag associated with it, that it needs to be freaking on point. And it needs to not just be like, this is how I do it. So you should too, kind of a thing. It should be like, yeah, this is what I've learned over my clinical practice. This is what I've thought about ad nauseum, multiple, multiple weeks, months in a row. I now have dived, dove in, dived? Dived into the research? It's definitely not Dovin. Let's <laughs> let's not do Dovin anymore. Are you sure you want to buy the course for me? What is it for real? Dived? Dived? I dove? <laughs> See, you know, his face right now is like, you actually. Know, there's actually some controversy. This is getting into English 101. There's some controversy <laughs> over whether you should use dived or dove. You could use either one of them. You cannot use Dovin. <laughs> Okay. okay. No one thinks that. So let's don't, <laughs> don't act like you're right. Judging people, this is why I stick to the script with pelvic PT knowledge only. Anyways, when I dove into the research, see how much better that felt. <laughs> it didn't. It still feels weird. So when I dove into the research, now it's like, okay, well, you have multiple areas. How have I been practicing for 16 years? Why do I think that way? What does the research say? What should I say about this? Well, and all of the things that go into actually creating content, putting it out there and saying, and making it in a cohesive way so that you guys can make the decision for yourself. And that is actually what we're going to talk about today. 
once we get through a couple more of the answering the questions about the course, we're going to talk about change, changing your mind, changing your mindset and changing the way that you actually practice. Cause that shit's hard and we don't take that lightly. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you even didn't include in that list of things that you think about so hard with the courses, but what is the most important thing for our field right now? And I know you have dozens of ideas floating around in your head and we go through and actually really consciously plan. And the biggest thing is what do we think can change the field in the most positive way right now? And what are the things, and I pay attention, you guys, I pay so much attention. This is why I love it. When you guys give me feedback in the huddle, I love it when you ask questions. I love it when you DM me. I love it when you email me because I want to, to I analyze what kinds of things you're asking, the trends, what you're getting taught, what you're hearing, who's saying what, and what, what should we think about that? And because it's hard out there, especially with the gram now and, and social media where you're just getting bombarded with 8 million other people and wannabes and copycats and all kinds of bullshit going on. Like it's hard to dig through all of that and decide to, I want to learn from this person. And I think you guys should pick your courses really uh, strategically and with a lot of care. And I want you to know that if you do that and you buy a course from me, I've also take that responsibility to the next level. So talk to me about this course. In case you guys have been under a rock for the last six months, because I know it feels like we, we might have been talking about it for even longer than that. I mean, getting opinions. Well, it goes we've back been... to like the biofeedback thing. This all kind of stems all together, right? We did that podcast a long time ago, one of our longest podcasts about biofeedback. Is it worth your time? And it really asked that question, not does the thing work, but is it the best possible use of time? And that question, when we raise the bar from is this better than nothing to is this the absolute best, it's amazing how much that pushes us to do different things. And I think that's really kind of fundamental to all of the courses that you do. What you think about is not is this better than nothing, but is this the absolute best we can be doing as a field, as individuals for our patients. So talk to me a little bit about this course First of all, who is the people who are going to absolutely love this? The people that are going to be like my besties and like high five and oh my gosh, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be are the people who think that it is going to be about a thought process. It really is laying the groundwork and putting down a framework for you to think differently about how you choose to prioritize strengthening with your patients. It ends up being that most of us have done an isolated strength approach to pelvic floor strengthening. What is the status of the pelvic floor? Does it squeeze? Does it lift? And we train that, we get awareness, and then boom, we you know, have to basically pray sometimes that it goes into function or we then, then we add in function. And we in this course are basically flipping that on its head and saying what we really should be doing is looking at the pelvic floor as it functions in a system, evaluate the system, train the system and pay attention to the task and the demand. And that should be driving your clinical choices of how and what to strengthen. 
And that see might seem to you all that like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it really is hard in practice, especially when we've all been taught and anybody that's taken any pelvic floor one, we've all been taught how to assess the strength of the pelvic floor with a squeeze and a lift. And like, how good does it do that? And this is basically going to be a different way of thinking. So the people that are going to love it are the people that are like, oh my gosh, I felt this, this thing too. I knew that there was something wrong with just like having them squeeze around my finger, but I didn't know what to do about it, right? Because I, it's hard to go against the grain. You literally just got taught something if you're newer or you've been doing it a certain way if you've been a veteran PT and now like, but what do I do instead? And that's really what this course is helping you to build a framework for. I think that was actually one of the more interesting things as you were gathering information for this course and as you were, and we so appreciate you guys in the huddle, honestly, who are responding to the polls and answering questions and and doing all of that. It really does help shape courses like these. And that's one of the reasons the process takes so long is to figure out where the field is and what you think needs to be talked about. What's really the most important and most pertinent for where people are in their journeys. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was there was that poll about how often people are using Kegels and volitional strengthening. And like, what was your big takeaway from that? Because I think almost 500, 600 of you guys answered that poll. It was really eye-opening. Yes. And so there can be a lot of takeaways, but the biggest one for me, one of the big drivers for this course was that I think the comment section of that poll showed that everybody that had said that they were doing some form of Kegel and volitional contraction which was 90% of people said that they were doing some form of it at some point in their practice. But the comment section was where the magic was, where it was like, well, there was a bunch of caveats. Well, what do you consider a Kegel? And this is how I think of it. And all of those, these things. So it was like 90% of people are doing it, but then they have had to sort of explain away why it might not be the best thing. And only, I think this was the other big takeaway was that the less than 10% of people actually had the courage to be like, zero, I don't do any of that. Actually, I don't do any of it, which is where kind of, I would have been on that poll would have been like the less than 10%. So that was the big takeaway is that we all feel like there's something that we want to do better, that this might not be the best way that this is kind of outdated and whatever, but we're all still stuck in our ways. And that's why this podcast is going to be about change. Mm-hmm. And the courage to change, deliberately talking about that courage to change with that. So if that's who the course is for, is that person who has that feeling that they could be doing more, that they could be doing something more functional, that they could be doing something that is more related to the task, that's more individualized to each person. And you really want to like dive in and like get the full picture. Where have we been? Why are we here? Where should we go? Where are my choices? All of that. True framework. This would be your thing. So who is this not for? Because that's almost just as important as to help people identify honestly. Because you you can't make a course, you can make a course that would benefit everybody, but you can't make a course that everybody should take. Totally. So I'll give you more of an example of somebody. If you're the person who's like, ooh, I treat this very specific population and I want to know five more exercises that I can do to strengthen the pelvic floor. Like, 
again, like I, this is not, may I repeat, this is not going to just give you a bunch of exercise, like ideas, exercise choices for you to like pick from. There's no library. There's no nothing because just guess what the, the library you is. Use. use the word you want to use. You're like it's your freaking brain. I am turning on your mother effing brain so that literally anything that you do can be a pelvic floor strengthening exercise. But there is still a framework on how to choose that for the patient and more importantly, for the task that they need to do. So if, back to your question, Jesse, is not for somebody who just wants to be told what to do. This is not for somebody who is looking for a very specific subset of patients for which exercises might be appropriate. This is not to somebody who's looking for another protocol to replace the essentially the protocol that we're in right now with the isolated strength approach. And so that is not who it's for. Like, and I am not an exercise guru, but I'm freaking really effective at picking the right pelvic floor strengthening exercise at the right time for any of my patients that walk in patients with pelvic pain, patients, pregnancy, postpartum, anything we can do it because the framework is there. Not, That's who it's not for. Not for someone who wants to be told what to do. And you yes. get so fired up when we, anytime that protocol word comes out, I, I think you get so fired up because it is such a, what, a reverse buzzword. It's like this, you know, we hate the idea of protocol-based treatment, but in reality, like that's what we've been stuck in the last 80 years is refining this protocol and getting it better. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, like, what's Jesse talking about? There's not a protocol, but there is, you guys. This is the thing. There is a protocol, right? It's how well does it squeeze? How well does it lift? How long does it do it for? And then we quote unquote individualize patient care from there, but that's not effing how the fucking pelvic floor works. So it's like we have to think differently with the knowledge that we have now about how the pelvic floor works. Like that's it. So if I hate when people are like, but wait, but Will, what should I do? Or even along that same lines, I'm going to digress a little bit, but like the, well, um, does anyone have like exact like template for what I should do on the eval? It's like freaking A. Like, no, that is not what we have for you. And because that's literally telling you what to do and you're not actually thinking about what you need to do for that patient. You can't replace protocol-based thinking with a different protocol. Yes, that is not what I'm here for. That's not the opposite of protocol-based. A protocol is not another protocol. The yes. opposite of not doing a protocol is like free your mind. I feel like free we're thinking. want to break people out of the matrix here. <laughs> I'm like in we this matrix, in matrix kick. Like you got to get out of the matrix. This is the real world. We're going into pelvic PT 2.0. We're breaking free of the matrix, but you can't replace one computer simulation with another. You cannot replace one protocol with another. And so if that's what you're looking for, oh, Nicole said this was going to be a strengthening course. She gave me these five things that I'm yeah. going to do with every single one of my patients. Then that is definitely not the course for you. So help me God, if somebody buys this course and emails me and was like, or puts on their form, I thought we were going to get more examples of exercises to do. It's like, I literally freed your mind so that there is an infinite amount of exercises in your brain. 
I'm helping you to pick the ones that are gonna be the best for the patient in front of you. I cannot do that for every single person and every single diagnosis and every single pelvic pain patient or pelvic PT patient that we see. It's just not gonna happen. So that is who it's not for. (laughs) She's not telling you that you can dodge bullets. She's telling you that when the time comes, you won't have to. Oh, snap. That was good. I got my Matrix quote yeah, in there. All with right. the voice and everything. With okay, the but let me just tell you, though. Change is freaking hard, you guys. Like, this course, if I do my job right in this course, it's going to blow up your current practice. And that's going to be a good thing, but you've got to be ready to change. And I hope that in the course I will build a strong enough case for you to really want to do it because you have to want something in order to do the hard thing and make a change. That's what we're talking about. This episode is the courage to change. I wanted to go back through, Nicole was talking about this a little bit and I kind of put it back on her and I said, well, talk about your career. And I think this is one of the things that you guys don't necessarily know or remember about Nicole But she's been through this. It's not like she came out of PT school. I'm going to brag on her a little bit right here. But it's not like she came out of PT school with this like freaking 17, 16 years of experience and all this clinical expertise and her pelvic PT ethos all perfect and like all of this stuff already figured out. And I know it's like kind of weird to think about like your evolution as a physical therapist, the evolution of your thought on that. But it's not like anybody comes out and is just like has it from day one. No. And so I think that's one of the things that you've done an amazing job, which is actually super ironic because you're terrible at change in like your personal life. <laughs> when Nicole was like, I want to do an episode on change. I was like, cool. Who do you want me to interview? <laughs> that's so true. In fact, fun story. You guys, one of these times my mom's going to be on this podcast and she's going to tell you a bunch of embarrassing stories about me. But it's a big joke in my family when there's change of plan. Oh, change of plan. Nicole has to get ready for change of plan. So sometimes we even have to be like, okay, like the plan's going to change. And then I have to be like, okay, what are all the iterations of things that could change? And then it's like overwhelming for me, (laughs) for me to like hear about the change at the same time. I know there's going to be one. And so like sometimes my mom will be like, okay, well just know that like that might change. And that's my cue to be like, okay, I'm going to have to be a change. And then my mom will call me back and be like, okay, so this is what's actually happening. So life is hard, everybody. (laughs) So when Nicole was like, hey, let's do an episode on change. I was like, this is going to be interesting. But (laughs) I think it's actually really interesting because in your career, You've constantly had a commitment to change. Change, constant. And I think that that's one of the things, uh, one of the things that I think is so fascinating. There's a lot of really cool research about when people make changes in their field. And there's a ton of information out there that most of the big changes in any big field and any like breakthrough moment are usually in the first five years of somebody's career. And it really actually starts to make sense. You think about Einstein, right? I mean, he, 1917, he blew up physics with three of the most influential papers ever written. And he spent a lot of the rest of his life fighting against quantum mechanics, something that eventually turned out to be proven true. And it's just such a perfect example of a lot of times we get into a pattern, we get into a rut, the rut ossifies, and it's really hard for us to 
look at things with fresh eyes. And I think that's one of the things that's most impressive, honestly, about what you do, Nicole, is that you've managed to continue to grow and change as a clinician. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how you're able to do that when it is not a natural thing for me. Thing it for is you at so all. not. I mean, I feel like it helps that I'm super passionate about the field and helping patients. And and if you really are like a student of science and like all of us have like this one physical therapy in general, I mean, really, if you break it down, we have this wonderful like zest for science and medical type of stuff, but we're also kind of people, people, right? We, we want to mesh those things together. And so the more that I've gotten into pelvic PT and the more that I've changed my practice, it's really looking at the individual in front of us and, and a commitment to being the best, not just pelvic PT, but being the best pelvic PT for that person. And that means that every single session, every single moment, every single patient that I have is, it has to be different. So you have to apply principles then if you're going to be not pulling your hair out every two seconds and just wanting to quit this field. I think some of the overwhelming burnout is when you are trying to make things fit to everybody and getting frustrated when someone's not responding to what you want them to do versus looking at the person in front of you and being like, hmm, what do I know about the principles that I'm going to have to adapt to you? And in order to do that, you have to have a lot of knowledge in a lot of areas and be able to pick and prioritize what's best for that person in front of you. And that shit is hard and it can be exhausting if you're not committed to wanting to do it every single day. I love that you titled the one of the prime theories in this or prime whatever we're calling it. It's a theory? I'm talking about scientific it's message. Really a theory. It's just like a, a we framework. renamed the framework, right? right? The framework is the adaptive strength approach. And it truly is adaptive. This is just a whole nother level now that we've been talking about protocols. Like what's the opposite of a protocol? Something that adapts, something that is adaptive. I love that word and I love that we're using it for this, but I'm not going to let you get out of here without some concrete examples. So Nicole, give me a couple ways that your practice has changed over the last 16 years, Hmm. which is going to involve Nicole having to admit that at some point she was a word that starts with W and ends with ong. Oh, right. Yeah. But that's the other reason why. Wait, so I tried to get you to say wrong and the first word that came out of your mouth was right. 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 That sounds about correct. (laughs) Right. Because when we change, we have to admit that we were doing something wrong, but also to say that's okay. I'm going to stop doing that wrong thing and make a commitment to doing the better thing every time. And that to me is really one of the most difficult things. I mean, I can think back to the way that we learned about chronic pain when I was in PT school. And even in the first few years of me practicing was like, if you were to think, talk about it now, it'd be like nails on a chalkboard. It was like this category of patient that was really difficult, that had a lot of underlying mental illness things wrong with them and all these like cringe worthy statements. And as you start to look at 
neuroscience research and pain research over the years, like you realize that, yeah, some of my language that I was saying to people, some of my preconceptions about them walking into my office, even some of the stuff that we now know is actually kind of true for like, there is a personality type to chronic pelvic pain patients, a type A personality, hard to change, all that kind of stuff. Like, but it's not that that is so terrible. It's just that the brain has created a threat response, right? So like just the way that you frame stuff in now the pain science advances that have come through, it's been hard. And it's easy now that it's been here for a while, but it was really hard to change your language, change your mindset, change your thought pattern when it was an emerging new thing. Like nobody used to think that the David Butler and Lorimer Mosley were like super smart, <laughs> by the way. Like when like that was a lot for us to like change the way that we thought about what chronic pain actually was instead of like pain in the ass patients that we have to like manage better. Yeah. So that's a good example of just like changing language, changing mindset around what it really is to treat and really like I used to think that even saying things like hold space for was like super over dramatic. Like, oh, that's only for the woo-woo people that are talking about holding space. But you really have to like be committed to holding space, like being there and willing to like go through the journey with somebody until they can sort of come around and get out of that threat response and trust you. And then we can move forward in the journey. But like that was like mind blowing at the beginning. And And it was like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit here and wait and like not try to fix everything immediately. Yeah. Not in line with your personality. Not only was it a difficult change because you had habits built up, but it was a difficult change because it didn't really fit the way that you wanted to do things. Like you wanted to go like work on the Lakers and freaking fix Kobe's ankle and all of that stuff. And now you're sitting there holding space for somebody. Yeah. So it's just a very different way of thinking. What's another example? I love that you force all of our PTs at the clinic to get really good with their offhand. Oh, Speaking about something yeah. that like, oh, hard. you have to change. It's hard. It feels awkward at the beginning. It feels terrible, right? So as you all know, I well, maybe you don't all know this, but I, I do not do the swirl around in the person's pelvic floor with like treating with one hand. I think that is... That is that what they call it? They should. Is that... If you called it swirling your hand around instead of like assessing the left and right side with the same hand, I feel like we would all be like, oh, I don't want to swirl in the pelvic floor. It takes me back to high school and swirlies. Like nobody wants a swirly. What's a swirly? Oh, it's when you had your head dunked in a toilet and the thing was flushed. (gasps) That's terrible. See, that would be like, you'd be like, have some sort of like assault claim on you nowadays for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. So swirlies are out. Swirlies are bad. Anyways... Swirling your finger around to like assess the pelvic floor. So right, patient's on the table. You're having your right hand treat their right side. And sometimes we're taught, not always, and not as much now, but we were at some point taught to swirl our hand around and do the uh, palpate the left side with your still with your right hand. And the first time when I'm teaching, I actually had to change my entire in-person interstitial cystitis manual treatment course because I was like, oh, that's not like a thing. People don't switch hands all the time. I had to like take a step back and like on redo the fly, on the fly. In the middle of your course, yeah, be like, like, oh, 
Oh. So what this is, we're actually going to take a step back and I want you guys to look at your two hands. Which one makes the L? That's your left one. Oh, you gosh. can do things with that one too. But it was actually really interesting, right? Because that, that's just that's just how I was taught from my mentor. And so I was like, oh shit, like not everybody does that. But when people, and I even caught people, if you ever take a course from me live, which might be coming at some point. I will not let you get away with reverting back, especially in your con ed course, reverting back to your, your, the things that make you feel uncomfortable. So I had just taught people to, you know, you need to assess the, the patient's left-hand side with your left hand. And I caught at least a couple of groups of people that were still doing the swirl around. And I was like, no, but why were they doing that? Because it felt weird it was difficult and they couldn't, they didn't feel like they, their new way was better than their old way. It was more familiar. And so they wanted to still assess the left side and do the technique that I was trying to teach with their right hand, even though I needed them to use their left hand. And that was a huge sort of epiphany where I was like, damn, you know, changing your your ways is really difficult because it feels weird and you fail and you look fumbly in front of a patient and like that's not always a great thing when you're in their pelvic floor and the first time you do a standing assessment you're all jacked up you're getting in people's way they think it's weird you're thinking it's weird and it's just this clusterfuck of stuff but guess what you have to keep doing it because if you keep doing it it won't be weird that's the game. And recognizing, I think that's one of the things that you're so passionate about and talking about in this course, I think it's really cool that you did this, which I think might be, you've done this in a little bit of ways in other courses, but I thought this was one of the coolest ideas is that you have an entire module basically on how to actually implement this and how to get through the roadblocks that are going to come because it is not easy to change. And like you said, with those left-handed folks, the temptation is to go right back to doing what is most comfortable the moment you hit any resistance. Totally. And so in this case, it would look like a patient coming in expecting you to do Kegels and now you're not. Now you're doing a standing assessment and they're like, whoa, what are you doing? And you're telling them, in fact, to not do the thing that their doctor just told them. And now they're looking at you like, what's your problem? Maybe I'm just going to go somewhere else because they're going to do the protocol-based thing that I feel like I want. What are you going to say? So we have a whole module in like the, you're going to meet resistance either with yourself or with other people. And what are you going to do when that happens and how are you going to combat that? And that's huge. And rewinding back a little bit, we even have you guys at the very beginning of the course do a self-assessment because again, like doing a self-assessment and seeing does your actual clinical practice currently right now with the patients that you have on your schedule right now match with what you think you should be doing most of the time that answer is no if you actually do a self-assessment that's why we've done self-assessments at pelvic sanity quite a few times we've even published research on that i think that that to me actually starts the timeline on the beginning of this course is when we went back and you said, I've been talking about PT without Kegels for a long time. And I've been training this way. I've been talking about it. I've done a course on this. All of that. You've been talking about that. And you said, hey, 
we need to make sure that at Public Sanity, we are putting our money where our mouth is. Not even just you, but everybody at Pelvic Sanity. And so we went back and we did a full-on chart review of everybody who had walked through the door for a certain amount of time. Yeah, we, it was ended up being 129 retrospective analysis of patient charts, consecutive patients that had walked into Pelvic Sanity. And wanted to see, is that true? Are we actually treating without Kegels the way that we say that we are? And... That ended up holding completely yeah. true. It was actually <laughs> Spoiler super... Spoiler alert, yes. But that was back in 2017. Like, that's how long you've been thinking about this. Totally, yeah. And I've been doing it for that much even longer than that. And finally, I was like, listen, it started to get real when I started to have employees, right? When I started to have to articulate, like, my ethos and my thought process to, like, actually, if you ask me if I have a biofeedback unit here, I'm like, why do you care if I have one? What does that measure? It measures volitional squeeze pressure and doesn't even translate to anything strength related or functional related. So like, it's like a big time. What's that? Like X, like what's that mean? <laughs> like, eh. like if you even ask me that, I'm like, your thought process is just like not in the right place. But when I actually started to have to articulate my, essentially my ethos, because I wanted a similar framework, a similar mindset of patients a similar essentially product outcome of pelvic sanity when I was growing beyond myself like that's what I had to make sure like hey if, if I'm preaching that to people am I actually doing the thing that I say that I'm so passionate about doing and I think that's where to kind of make full circle the back with that poll I think that sometimes we think that we're not doing it because in our mind it's like, oh, what she's saying makes sense. Like, I don't want to be a protocol-based therapist. I don't want to be giving Kegels every time. But then if you actually do a practice assessment, if you actually look back and say, of the last you know X amount of patients that came into my practice, like how many patients did I do a strength assessment on? How many patients did I hound them on pelvic floor awareness? How many sessions did I actually spend on like an isolated pelvic floor approach the statistics might actually shock you. And the more that you're in that, that habit, the harder it is for you to change. And so we have like an entire like module in this course on like how to change because this shit's hard and, but you have to be committed. If you're committed to true, true, true individualized care, then the change part becomes less hard. I won't even say it becomes easy, but it becomes less hard because you're committed to like something greater than your discomfort during the change process. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. There's a reason that you are in this uncomfortable stage. Totally. And you can even like, I mean, there's so many times when I've been like, just tell your patient shit. Like, just be honest with them. Hey, I'm trying this new handhold to test your nerve. Like when I changed my handhold to be able to do more things for sciatic nerve tension testing, it's like I was fumbling around and I could do it great for someone that was small, but then I had a six, five firefighter in there and I was like, damn it, your leg is like a tree trunk. Crap. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. I was like, hang with me for a second. I'm just trying this new handhold so I can do this. Like, let me try. You have to be committed to try and be committed to look kind of like a little bit of fumbling around with your patient. But if you're just honest with them, like this is actually what I'm trying to do and committed to actually making that change, 
then that's when the, the magic happens. The courage to change. That's what we're talking about. Can I also talk about one other thing before we wrap up? Because I think, I, I think this is an important point. You've mentioned it in a couple of your stories and things we've been talking about recently on the Instagram. And the Instagram. The Instagram. <laughs> on the Instagram. I've dove into <laughs> social media, Nicole. How about the gram? You sound cooler when you say that. I don't think you do. <laughs> I think that might be one of those things like the pain science thing that shifts over time. But okay. Anyways. One of the things that you said about this is that it makes being a pelvic PT fun again. If yes. you're able to do this correctly. Can you tell me what you meant by that? Because you said that really quickly in passing. And I, I, we didn't plan to talk about this. I just had seen that. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, what about this, like, restores the fun to what your job? I mean, I just feel like if you look at everybody as, like, everybody that comes into your place, if you look at them like, ooh, how am I going to get into your brain how am I going to get you to, what challenge are you going to bring me? Like if you shift your mind into like, this is going to be fun. Like I don't want to give the same exercise to every single person. I don't want to tell the person breathe through your nose, like inhale for four, exhale for four. Like that is so boring to me. I feel like I want to die. If that was if that's it, then freaking why do they even need to come into the office? Then online telehealth shit should be blowing up because you should be able to do that to anybody anywhere. And like, that's the thing. It makes it more fun when everything is different. And I don't know, for all of you people out there that are like, oh, I'm only so exhausted at the end of my day. It's like, yeah, you fucking should be exhausted at the end of the day if you're actually doing that but a being tired and not having fun is not synonymous like it can be fun to be like wow like i my brain was freaking stimulated today damn i need a glass of wine but like also you change someone's freaking life like that's a big deal and that cannot be done with like squeeze around my finger how long can you lift nope I think that might be the last word on here. So I know that this is hard. We talked about ways that you've had to change, Nicole, but we also see the opposite sometimes in, in any field. Like the people who have refused to change, who have really ossified in the way that they do things. Yeah, man. Those people are never cool. Right? They're not the cool grandparents. Yeah, man. Right? They're the crotchety old people sitting in their rocking chair on the porch being like, Meh. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. Back like, in the good old days. Yeah. Right? And that's not, I think, what you want to be. We could do be. a whole other podcast on that, being a business owner and an employer, by the way. That's a... Well, that, that is... is that, that makes me feel like I want to sit in a rocking chair and <laughs> yell, get off my lawn. But I do think that that is... I mean, that, that is the... The alternative. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, that's the thing about why it's so important. I think that's one of the things that's amazing about the world today is there's so much more out there, so many more chances to learn and grow and continue to do that. Like, there's no more excuses. There's no more excuses. It like, really you can isn't. learn. I mean, there's no more excuses. You can learn from like to... amazing people from across the freaking world. Which has never been the case. I mean, this is the first generation where that's ever been true. And I hope that everybody out there is thinking about taking advantage of it. So 
I think that wraps us up, Nicole. The Courage to Change, I think, is a really cool title for this episode. I think it really describes like what it actually means to not just learn something, but to actually take it in and implement it and work through the discomfort that we know is coming. Like, Don't pretend that that's not coming and work through that and actually integrate this into your practice. So if you guys are doing that, if you want to do that with us, if you want to be part of that Pelvic PT 2.0, that course is now open. We are so freaking excited by it. It's actually weird that we're recording this podcast before it's actually opened. Obviously, this is not like live for those of you guys who haven't figured that out yet. So (laughs) we'll find out how many of you guys like it and what we see about it. But I mean, I think the response so far has been so huge. It's going to be really, really fun. And I'm loving that people are going to get a chance to go through that together in that first cohort. You guys do know that we want to do something special for any of you guys who have the courage, bringing that back full circle, the courage to try something for the first time. Because we do know that that takes courage to do that, to jump in when no one else has gone through a course before. So those of you guys who are doing this in the first cohort with us, we're doing $50 off it. So it's $447. Um, if you guys take it, $50 off. It is $157 if you do the payment plan and go through it. You'll get access to a live Q&A. So if you guys have any questions, if you want to bring up any specific stuff, Nicole's going to be doing a live Q&A. It's going to supposedly last for an hour, but she always goes over every time we do those. We just plan to like not do anything for the rest of the night. That's going to be on there. We're going to be sending some accountability emails if that's something that you want to help you keep you going through. Because again, it doesn't matter if you get the knowledge, if you don't have the courage to actually make the change and implement it in your practice. So all of that stuff's going on. PelvicPTRising.com slash Kegels. Nicole, I'm going to give you the last word. Anything else? I have nothing. Oh, I love hearing that, guys. (laughs) On that note, please, if you have questions about the course, if you have questions about anything at all, if this has been inspiring to you in any way, please reach out. We always want to keep the conversation going. And let's continue to rise.